Family is a wonderful blessing from God. It's a wonderful thing. God created Adam, and he said it's not good that the man should be alone. God created Eve, and God created the family, and and the family is intended by God to be a blessing to us and for us. But the joy of family brings a temptation. And the temptation that it brings is the same value that our society promotes, which is this, that family is more important than anything. Family-centered living. And a lot of Christians have absorbed this through some teaching that hasn't been perhaps as uh, biblical as it ought to be. But Jesus himself made it absolutely clear there can only be one center in life. And that center has to be him. Please follow as I read from Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 33. Um, what I would consider to be uh, some extreme words from Jesus. Whoever denies me before men, I, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now some of you are thinking, I'm living out the Bible perfectly. Because I don't get along with my mother or my (laughs) mother-in-law. Now that's not what Jesus was saying. The first few verses here are really defined by the last one. He who finds his life, he who, who gets a hold of his own life in his own way and clings on to his life will lose it, but he who loses it in me will find it. Jesus said that his life is the best life we possibly could have. Now there's something intuitive in us that says, no, we should love family more than anything. How can we possibly love Jesus the most and still love our family in a proper way? Well, I would submit to you that the reason Jesus said you ought to love him the most, you ought to love him the best, is because he knows that the life he gives will make your family life the best it can be. And so I want to define to you what is this life that he gives and how does it apply particularly to mothers. I think the rest of us can see that there will be some tremendous application to us as well. But I want to think about the life he gives and what he asks us. He asks us to give up our life and take up his life. In verse 33, he says, you need to take up your cross. The cross only meant one thing to the people who were listening. It meant death. He says, I'm asking you to let go of your life and take a hold of my life. Because when you do, you will find the life you've been looking for. Well, what is the life that Jesus gives? First of all, it's a new life. 
It's a new life. One of, one of the fundamental questions that, that women ask and ought to ask is, how can I be a good mother? How can I be a good mother? And I think the answer from our society in general and from mothers in general goes something like this. I will be a good mother if I love my children with all of my heart. If I just give 100% of who I am to them, I will be a good mother. And when we see a mother who's not giving 100%, we say she's not a good mother. Now this answer presumes something. It presumes that a mother has everything she needs already inside of her. And I don't think Jesus agrees with that evaluation. Listen to these words that Jesus spoke to a man who was extremely religious, extremely good, extremely well-respected. Listen to what he said to him. There was a man of the Pharisees. The word Pharisee means that he was part of a religious group that was extremely uh, particular about following God's ways. And he was a ruler of the Jews, which means he was highly respected by his people. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the miracles you do unless God is with him. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth were this, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's a man who was extremely religious, extremely respected. Everybody who saw him on the street would have said, that's a good man. And yet Jesus looked right at him and he said, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. Before your first child is born, it's easy to imagine how great motherhood will be. Oh, there's going to be mother and child bonding I'm going to love this child. We're going to have wonderful times together. I'm going to shower love on him or her, and he or she will look up at me and say, you're a wonderful mother. And there's a couple of moments like that. But we all know, all of us who are parents, and some who have had the chance to watch closely from the outside, know that parenthood is different than the dream. And the woman who enters motherhood in her own strength, believing that she has all that she needs, she just needs to love this child and everything will work out, finds out that the mother's love is not enough to carry her through the demanding days and sleepless nights. So what does Jesus offer to that mother? What does it mean to be born again, to have new life? Well, it means that Jesus wants to give us things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all called the fruit or the result of the Holy Spirit being in a person. And, and as far as I understand from God's Word and from my observation of human life, the only way to get these characteristics in full measure is from God. Every woman has some of these characteristics, one or the other, maybe more, some more than some less. But Jesus says... If you will love me, 
If you will believe in me as your Savior, this is what I'm going to give to you. Wouldn't it be great to have all of the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, to have all of that that you need? That's what Jesus offers. But it only comes when we lay down our own pursuit of life and we embrace his pursuit of life, which starts with believing in him as our Savior, realizing that we are not enough in and of ourselves, but that he has everything that we need. The Christ life is a new life, and a big part of that newness we can read about in John chapter 8. Turn with me to John chapter 8, please. A few pages down the road in your New Testament, John chapter 8. And what we understand here about the life that Christ gives is this. It is a forgiven life. John chapter 8. No mom is perfect. I know full well that when we read Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day, there are, there are many women thinking, oh, I wish they wouldn't read that passage of Scripture. Because I am not that perfect. And the truth is, none of us are that perfect. Every mom loses her cool once in a while, and some moms lose it often. Every mom feels like there have been times when they could have, should have, might have, done something different, better, more or less, or not at all. There are times when you feel bad, you feel like a failure. What's a mother to do? John chapter 8 has the answer, starting in verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Obviously, if they really cared about the law, they'd have brought the man also, who was an adulterer. But they didn't, because all they cared about was making a problem for Jesus. Verse 7, uh, excuse me, verse 6. Then they said, testing him, that this they said, testing him, that they might have something with which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. <laughs> So when they continued asking him, come on, Jesus, what are you going to do? He raised himself up and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And he said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. The Christ life is a life of forgiveness. Now I know in some respects that sounds like a get out of jail free card. 
I can do anything I want and Christ will forgive me. I, I think this woman understood right here that her life of adultery needed to be over. Because Jesus didn't say, oh, I don't condemn you. Don't worry about it. Do whatever you want. He said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Why did he say that? Because this is what God is like. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. That's talking about death, punishment. According to the law, she deserved death. That's a harsh, that's a harsh punishment, but that's, that was what the law was. But through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so we sing the song, The steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. The truth is none of us are very perfect. And we all need the forgiveness of the Lord. The world will tell you to forgive yourself. You did wrong. Uh, Forgive yourself. You need to forgive yourself. The problem is that doesn't work. Because down in your soul, you know, I did wrong. I can't just say it doesn't matter. Why can God forgive us? God can forgive us for our wrongs because when Christ was on the cross, God poured all of our sin that we've ever done and ever will do onto him. He paid for my sin. And so every morning when I sit and have my devotions and I think about my life yesterday and I say, God, is there a sin that I need to confess? And he brings something to my mind and I confess it to him. He says, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Boy, I'm telling you, that's what moms need today. A forgiven life. If you're here today and you don't know forgiveness, if you're struggling with the guilt of what you've done, you need to know that God wants to forgive you. And that is one of the prime characteristics of the life that he wants to give a new life, a transforming life, a life like Christ. And when we do make mistakes, it is a forgiving life. He will forgive us and cleanse us and let us walk on in righteousness. But it's not just new and forgiven, it's also joyful. It's also a joyful life. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall this last week. Uh, Daughter Molly took Malachi and Kylie home with her. She came to visit last week and and took the kids home. So the four grandkids were together all week, two girls and two boys. And on the first morning, bright and early, before it was bright and early, the two girls, you know, three years old, pushing four, are there with their bed hair and their swimming suits and their high heels Come on, Mom, we want to go swimming. I would have loved to have seen Molly's face. And I would have loved to have gone, nah, 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 nah. I 
Mm, parenthood and grandparenthood can be a blast. <laughs> but they also can bring heavy burdens. And if our joy in parenthood is based on circumstance, then it will consist only of brief moments of joy from time to time. But the life that Jesus promises, the life that Jesus offers, is a life of consistent joy. Listen to these words of his from John 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. It's not hard to be happy when a whole family's together and there's birthday cake and a bouncy toy and a pool and a hamburger. You know, I mean, what's not to be happy about? But that's not the way all of life is. Jesus said, the life that I am offering you is a life that can result in you having a consistent joy to your life. Not 100% happiness, not a life without problems. Um, If you ever hear me say anything that sounds like you will never have a problem if you live for the Lord, then you come up and, and rebuke me. Because that is not what God promises. But he promises joy through the difficulty. How can that be possible? It comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We looked at this just a minute ago. The fruit or the result of the Spirit of God working in us is joy and all of those other things. Our obedience to Christ is what Galatians 5 calls walking in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit produces the life of Christ in us. That has to do with how we think about the things in our life. Things like James chapter 1, count it all joy when you fall into various difficulties because God is using that in your life. If you don't think righteously, you will not receive the joy of the Lord. It also goes with our behavior. If we do not behave right, we will not receive the joy of the Lord. It's not hard for a mom to start thinking If she had a new dress, or a new figure, or a new car, or a new house, or a new husband, and even sometimes a new child or two, that things would be happy all the time. But it isn't true. Those women who run off and start a new life because the old one is hard only find a new hard life. Because eventually the newness wears off and the hardness sets in. But those who live in obedience to Christ find His joy even in difficult times because He makes it happen. If our joy is dependent on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there's no limitation to when we can be joyful. And that's the life that Christ wants to give. He also wants to give us a peaceful life. Now, I understand that the first text we read in Matthew 10 talked about coming to bring a sword and not peace. What he was talking about there was the fact that if we live righteously for him, there will be some people who do not like us. 
there are countries today, this country is moving in that direction, but there are countries around the, us in the world who actively oppress Christians even to the, the extent of family members. And that's what he was talking about. If you believe in me and follow me, there will be people who hate you for that. But he's not saying you can't live in peace even through that kind of difficulty. He says, I want to bring you a peaceful life in an uncertain world. When our son was about 15, we woke up very early one morning and found him doubled over in pain, trying to, trying to breathe and control what he was feeling. And a trip to the ER revealed that he had passed several gallstones and that his gallbladder was to the end of its usefulness. And in the process of preparing for surgery, we, we went to a surgeon who was going to take his gallbladder out, and we said, you know, he's got this thing on his neck here that seems kind of big and kind of odd. And, and so he looked at it and measured and asked a few questions. He goes, ah, I think it's just a teenage acne thing. Don't worry about it. So had the gallbladder surgery. We go for follow-up to the surgeon, and we say, you know, uh, that thing looks like it's getting bigger. And he gets out his measuring tape and he says, we should take that off right away. Ooh, that is not what you want to hear about your 15-year-old son. Because it's uncertain. One thing is certain about parenthood and family life. Nothing is certain. Getting all the pieces of family life in comfortable spots is like nailing jello to the wall. It just doesn't last that long. <laughs> you can get it there for five minutes. In an uncertain world, Christ promises a life of peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Yes, there will be difficulties between us and people who don't follow the Lord at times. But he says, within you, you can live at peace. Now, there are multiple aspects to this, but I would just point you to one and ask this question. How does Christ enable peace? Well, Matthew 28 has some verses that we usually refer to when we're talking about sharing the gospel with people and carrying God's word around the world. But look what he says here, Matthew 28. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When you think about how you're going to live in peace, the first and foremost cornerstone of peace is this. God is with us. Christ is with us. A child gets a life-threatening illness, I am with you. There are layoffs at work, I am with you. There are changes in the school system, I am with you. There's sin in the family, I am with you. He goes even farther in Hebrews 13.5 and says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what comes in our life, the fallback is I'm in Christ's hands. He's here. I'm in Him. He's in me. He's at work. There's no need to be frantic ever. Because my life is in Christ and Christ is in me. Well, the fifth characteristic of the life that, that Christ brings us is a wise life. 
As Jesus prepared to leave his disciples, he made this promise. I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. He, he was talking about the fact that he was going to physically leave. He, you know, I am going to be leaving, but the Father will send somebody in my place, someone who will abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of the things to come. Now, I understand there's a primary reference here to, to Jesus telling the apostles, look, you know my truth, and when I'm gone from here, the Holy Spirit is going to help you remember it so you can write it down and help you remember it so you can teach it. But there also has, is a broad principle that carries on and is talked about in 1 Corinthians 2, which is this. It is the Spirit of God that opens to us the understanding of the Word of God. He is the the vehicle through which we get God's wisdom and God's truth. If, if there's any job in the world that requires more wisdom than parenting, I don't know what it is. Maybe the President of the United States. He's kind of the daddy of the world, you know, trying to keep all the kids from killing each other. But as parents, we have a tremendous need for wisdom. And of course, that need for wisdom is uh, addressed by many people. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, for many, many years, was saying, here's how to live your life. And uh, she introduced us to a guy named Dr. Phil. Here's how to get along with one another. And uh, way back before that was this book right here by Benjamin Spock, Baby and Child Care. By the way, Benjamin Spock did not advocate against spanking children. He advocated a limited of, if you see the early editions of his book. But he came to be known as the guy who said, don't ever spank your children, and so on. And started a revolution in, in child care back in, the, back in the 60s, I believe. The most widely recommended and best-selling handbook for parents ever published over 22 million copies sold. People are looking for wisdom. People know it doesn't take you very long to get into parenthood, you know, a few days, a few weeks, whatever, to know you need some help. And so there are popular magazines. Tame that tantrum. There you go. There, there's all you need to know about that. Back in the late 50s, we were told that Father Knows Best. This is a really, really old TV show. It's probably on TV Land now. Maybe you can find it on Hulu. I don't know. But uh, every week there was some disaster in this family. Uh, and by disaster, I mean one of them lost a sock or something like that. <laughs> and Father knew the best way to solve it. There were no disasters like the ones on TV now back then, that's for sure. Father Knows Best. And then we got into the, uh, what, the 80s and 90s with Tim, the tool man, Taylor. <laughs> and we learned from this show that men are stupid and women know best. Because in every episode, he messed up, and in every episode, she fixed things. Okay? And you know what? It's all a bunch of malarkey. It really is. The reality is, 
neither moms nor dads have all of the wisdom they need. And until we come to Christ, we don't have any of the wisdom that we need. Because God says, the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. You can be totally devoted to your family. And just spend 100% of your life trying to care for them. But if your wisdom is not godly, you will not get the results you were after. Your intentions can be perfect and wonderful. But the results will not be there. God says, here's the wisdom. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, that's what he says. Wisdom cries aloud outside. Here I am. Come and get it. It's tried and true. It's written by the Creator. What more could you want? And if we commit ourselves to Christ and to living for Him, then we will also be committing ourselves to the Word and gaining wisdom from the Word and knowing how to live and how to walk and how to raise our family. The life that Christ offers is not only a wise life, but it's a purposeful life. A purposeful life. Let me ask you to think about something for a minute. Set aside your Christian values and think about what you hear in the society and answer this question. What is the purpose of life? If you're an extremely family-oriented person, the purpose of life is this. To raise your children well and to enjoy them and then die. Did I get that wrong? Now there's one other element that the really good people add to that. You need to make a difference in the world for other children, plus raise your children well, Enjoy them and then die. Did I miss anything? I'm, I'm, I'm asking you seriously to think about this, to really think about what, the, what does the world say is the purpose of life. It's like the Lion King, it's the circle of life. We live, we do good, we die, that's it. Oh, have mercy, there's more to life than that. Your life. Your family life can be eternally significant. When Jesus was just starting his ministry, he, he, I think he'd had some exposure to some people. I don't think this was the very first time he talked to these men. But he comes to a point where he walks along, walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother. They were fishermen. They were professional fishermen casting a net into the sea. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I will make you fishers of men. To fish for men is to be involved in God's work of making disciples. And that is eternally significant. There's only one way for your children to grow up and live a truly good life and help others and end up in heaven, and that is for you to be a disciple-maker at home and to be a disciple-maker in the world. 
We can make an eternal difference in the world through what we do in our family and what we do with our family. Family life is not just about being devoted to time with them. It's about us together doing something for the people who don't know the Lord so that they can know the Lord and they can not only live well now, but live in heaven in the future. I heard a man on a call-in radio show a few years ago say something basically like this. He said, I'm going to do everything I can for my family so that when I die, they'll miss me. I mean, he was talking about just on and on and on and on all the way to the end, and then they'll miss me. Well, that's a purposeful life. problem with that purpose is you'll never know whether it turned out or not. You can be busy in family life. You can be busy till the day you die, and you might even convince yourself that you're important. And that when you die, people will miss you. So what? Maybe they'll put your name on a building if you leave a big enough inheritance. So what? In Christ... We can be involved in the work of making disciples in our family and through our family and leave an eternal impact on the world and be rewarded for God in heaven. Unbelievable. The last aspect of this great life that Christ offers offers us is, is security. Security. From John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let not your heart be troubled. Clearly, God intends for us to be certain and secure in life now and life in the future. If Christ is with you, if you have believed in Christ, if he is in you, he is the way, the truth, and the life. You are headed for heaven. And if that is true, then what can shake you in this life? If your life is centered around the one relationship that is absolutely permanent, then you will live in confidence. Every other relationship is potentially temporary. But our life with Christ is permanent, and it takes us the distance. All of this together adds up to an abundant life. Jesus said this in John 10, I have come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. I have come that they might have life, talking about being born again, coming into life with me, and that that life is an abundant life. The promise of Christ is a new life, a transformed character, the ability 
to, uh, to have the character you need to work through the things of life. A forgiven life where every day begins fresh. A joyful life by the creation of the Holy Spirit as we walk righteously. He creates that life of Christ in us. A peaceful life not affected by circumstances. A wise life that enables you to raise your children well. A purposeful life built on making disciples for eternity. A secure life built around the permanent relationship with Christ. If these things are in your life, then what is the life that Christ gives? It is a rich, full, abundant life. But there's a catch. There's a catch, and it's illustrated by this old joke. A young man was beginning to think about dating a young woman, and he went to his grandfather for some advice. And he was thinking about dating and what it would cost him and what he should spend, you know, and things like that. And, you know, he wanted to be good at it, so to speak. He said, Grandpa, what's the most expensive date you ever went on? Oh, he said, that's easy. That's the one I went on with your grandmother. It cost me everything I own. <laughs> the Christ life is the best life you can have, but it will cost you everything you have. Your dreams, your desires, your designs. You have to take up your cross. You have to let go of the pursuit of life as you are trying to build it. And that is what it means to die to yourself, to realize that you don't have it in yourself, but Christ has it. And so you let go of that self-life and you embrace faith in Christ and obedience to Christ. It will be the most expensive thing you ever do, but it will be the best life you could have and your children. Your children will thank you for it. Heavenly Father, help us. We all have things that we want to pursue, ways that we want to pursue family life. We need to let go of all of that and embrace you through faith in Christ and obedience to his instructions. Help us do that today, Father. Help us to be, first and foremost, Christ followers. And as we follow him, will you please build the family life that you want to build and bless us the way you know is best for us. I pray in Christ's name, amen.